Cutler from Geologics, and I'm here with my trusty colleague, Michael Galvin. Hello, everybody. And we are back for podcast number two, and today we'd like to talk about some of the things that are happening in the field of oncology that we are pretty excited about. And I think, Michael, perhaps the first thing that I would like to talk about and get your thoughts on as well is what is called next-generation sequencing, which is a very remarkable development in recent years. Um, Perhaps just to give the listeners a little bit of background in terms of what NGS is, uh, cancer, generally speaking, is caused by genetic alterations, at least. That is the, the premise of cancer genomics. And the idea is that genetic alterations, whether they're something that you're born with, known as germline alterations, or something that you were not born with, which are known as somatic alterations, are what actually lead to the growth of cancer. And it's the somatic type of alterations that are more common and often do lead to cancer growth in a variety of different cancers. Michael, is that consistent with your perception and understanding of of cancer growth as well? Uh, Yeah. So there's also other aspects that oncologists, depending on their orientation, might add. Uh, There's a theory, as we discussed before, that cancer is potentially arising from a defect in immune surveillance, but ultimately what is causing the cancers to appear are these genetic alterations that cause cells to behave in aberrant ways. Well put. And I think what is important to understand is that genetic testing for alterations, somatic alterations in particular, has been around for for quite a while. So, for example, immunohistochemistry testing and, and fish testing of cancer tissue is something that pathologists have been doing for for many years to look for genes like EGFR and ALK that may be altered and thereby driving the cancer. But there's now, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, there's now something called next-generation sequencing that looks at the entire genome within the cancer tissue and determines whether there are any alterations. And the benefits for the the cancer patients are, are multifold. NGS testing allows for more precise diagnosis of the disease, more accurate prognosis, and potentially identifies what can be treated via therapy. So it can ultimately lead to a very personalized approach to cancer management. So one of the places that we hear about NGS testing very commonly in the conversations that we have with oncologists and pathologists is in the context of non-small cell lung cancer, where, as you know, there are several genetic markers that are recommended for testing because they determine how a given patient can be treated. There are something like four or five, depending on who you ask, markers that are targetable by currently available treatments that have enormously improved efficacy, tolerability, and safety over standard chemotherapy. And so it's beneficial for a patient to determine whether they have one of these markers in their tumors. And, of course, one of the issues in non-small cell lung cancer is that biopsy tissue can be quite limited um, given 
the way technically that, that biopsies are conducted. And so in this case, where there are a number of markers that need to be tested and very limited tumor sample available, next-generation sequencing can be enormously helpful to oncologists and to their patients. Absolutely. And, you know, Michael, one thing that's particularly exciting to me is that now there are drugs that are being developed and actually some on the market that can be used for patients who have a particular genetic alteration regardless of what type of cancer they have. So it could, for example, be lung cancer or colorectal cancer, or it could be a rare cancer like like salivary cancer or, or infantile fibrosarcoma. So as long as the patient has this particular genetic alteration in their cancer tissue, they're a candidate for this drug and, and actually very likely to be helped by this therapy. To me, that's, that's really exciting and, and really a shift in terms of how cancer is being treated. Going back to what we were talking about on the previous podcast, it's no longer do you have lung cancer versus breast cancer. It's shifting towards what is the genetic alteration that is at the root of your cancer. The two markers for which there are these tumor agnostic indications now, the two markers being mismatch repair deficiency or microsatellite instability on the one hand and NTREC alterations on the other, uh, expect we'll be joined by others soon as there are studies underway of, of several different markers um, across different tumor types. And I think as we've both heard in talking with oncologists, it's become common if you have a patient who has exhausted standard therapy options to do next-generation sequencing testing on their biopsy, on their tumor sample, in order to see if they have any marker for which a currently available therapy can target in the hopes of, of providing them with additional options once the standard ones have been exhausted. Yes, indeed. And I think what we're seeing, too, is that there's more and more likelihood amongst oncologists, not just in academic settings, but also in community settings, to use NGS testing earlier than they've done in the past. So in many cases now, NGS testing is starting to be used up front as the costs are dropping and clinicians are really starting to understand the benefits that getting a full NGS profile up front can bring for the patient. And it's not just the cost coming down, but also here in the U.S., of course, it's also the payer's willingness to reimburse for it. I know that Medicare changed its guidance on NGS in the not-too-distant past, within the last year or so, and that has also made it feasible to do more testing for patients and perhaps to find agents that might be able to help them. Exactly. And, you know, going back to what we were saying on the previous podcast, a lot of the agents that target these alterations that are identified through NGS testing tend to be better tolerated than the old-fashioned chemotherapies that were used 10 or 20 years ago and in some cases are still being used. And in addition, and perhaps more importantly, the efficacy data on some of these newer targeted therapies are often very impressive. So in some cases, these, these therapies, these newer targeted therapies, have received expedited approval from the FDA because they're being recognized as, as 
offering such advantages over the earlier treatments that were employed for so many years. Yeah, that's exactly the case. And as we see, the the guidelines keep changing with the advent of new clinical trials showing the benefit of these agents, um, and certainly patients are able to do much better. Uh, I think we all know the cases of, of patients who have one of these genetic alterations and are doing much better than anyone would have expected them to do in the days before these therapies were available. Absolutely. I think in in a sense, and, and I don't mean in any way to diminish how serious cancer is or how serious HIV infection is, but some cancers are now starting to become what, for patients with HIV infection, that is starting to be, for them, a chronic illness, thanks to the advent of so many new therapies that, that target the HIV virus. Cancer is kind of moving in, in the same direction, at least uh, from my vantage point. Some patients who in the old days would have been told that they had only a few months to live now are told that they have uh, years. And not only do they have longer uh, expected lifespan, but they have better quality of life thanks to the fact that these, these therapies that are newer, these targeted therapies, carry fewer burdens of toxicity with them than the old-style chemotherapy agents used to bring. That's true, although I think it's important uh, not to get too carried away with looking at these these improvements. Certainly, patients are much better off than they used to be, particularly if a genetic alteration, a targetable genetic alteration can be found. Nonetheless, in many cases, these are not necessarily providing cures, just extending life with good quality of life. Absolutely, Michael. I think that's a really good point. I I don't mean to suggest that these are magic bullets. Certainly, uh, cancer patients still are facing a very serious situation, and these newer targeted agents will merely extend the lifetime that they can expect to live. But unfortunately, there are still no cures out there for, for the majority of cancers and there are still uh, significant toxicities, even with the newer targeted agents. My point is, compared to what was standard of care about 20 years ago, uh, there's really been a quantum leap forward in terms of the technology that can be employed against a lot of the cancers. Yeah, I would agree that certainly that's true, and that there are patients who are alive today because they were able to receive these therapies that certainly would not have had that opportunity in the days before the therapies were and the targets were discovered. Indeed. And and one more thing to note about the newer agents is they, they tend to be oral. They tend to be pills rather than infusions or injections. Not not always, but, but often these newer agents are oral. So the, the patient doesn't even have to go to the hospital or, or to the clinic to receive their medication. They can take it right at home. And so the convenience of the newer medications adds to, in many cases, the quality of life that these patients can enjoy. And on the other hand, since it seems that my role in our podcast is to be something of a wet blanket, it raises other issues with physicians and with the nurses who care for the patients that intravenous or subcutaneous injectable therapies do not have. So there's always a worry about compliance. Um, It's one thing to worry about compliance or adherence for patients with other 
chronic diseases. Uh, if you miss your dose of a statin one day, it's perhaps not as potentially problematic as, as missing your dose of, uh, of, of Gleevec or of Zalcori. Um, and so that raises challenges for manufacturers, for physicians, for nurses, in order to make sure that patients continue to receive their medications. Also here in the U.S., given the way that medications are paid for, that raises a number of challenges in terms of uh, getting the medications into patients' hands, um, in terms of unreimbursed nursing and administrative time for physician practices and hospitals, and other challenges as well that have become a little more front and center in the minds of our clients than they used to be. Yes, indeed. And and I don't think you're being a wet blanket. I think you're being a realist. Michael and I would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We would like to hear from you. Feel free to visit our website at www.heologics.com. That's H-E-A-L-O-G-I-X.com. Or you can call Heologics at 215-830-8360. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.